Life lessons, big life lessons. If you were to think about some life lessons that that you have learned or that you would share with somebody, you might say, uh, trust people. That's a life lesson. Then, uh, then you might say, don't trust everybody. Amen? Uh, th- those, those would go hand in hand together. Work hard. Hard work pays off. I think that's a life lesson. Life is not fair. Would you agree with that? That's, uh, you, you don't learn all those in kindergarten, but you probably should start memorizing them because I think those are some, and that's just a list of four out of a potential list of 10,000. Judges chapter 11 tonight, we're going to look at a very interesting character. We're going to look at verses 1 through 29, and the next week we're going to come back and conclude it. And you don't want to miss next week, not because I'm promising a great sermon, but because it's just an interesting, tragic tale how this story ends. But this is a story... Tonight, that has some great life lessons. It's, it's uh, about a judge with a very interesting name. It's pronounced Jephthah. And Jephthah was actually probably a contemporary of, of Samson. Jephthah was probably in northeast Israel uh, doing what we're going to see tonight while Samson was in the southwest part of the country. All this is about 1,100 years before Jesus Christ. And there's several things tonight I want you to see that I think are very important. Here's number one. Your past is not your biggest issue. It's not your biggest plus moving forward, and it's not your biggest burden. In verse 1, it says, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. Now, where it says that, a mighty warrior, it does mean that he was a mighty man of valor and battle, but it means a man of courage, of strength, of charisma. This was a guy who was a, this was a great leader is basically what one of the things it's saying. His father was Gilead. That's awesome, isn't it? And his mother was a prostitute. The story takes a little negative turn right there. Wouldn't you agree? Daddy did not always do right. Would you agree? Who's your daddy? This case, it was who's your mama. Verse 2 and 3. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, probably after dad died, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any of the inheritance of our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him. A group of ruffians really gathered around him and followed him. Wow. You know, I'm going to guess his whole life growing up, he was the outcast. Wouldn't you guess that? That, that, Daddy had the boys with mama, and then here was daddy was good enough to raise Jephthah in the family home, but his mama was a hooker. And if they treated him this way when he was older, I can guarantee you when they were 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, 13, 14, he heard this a lot. And it says basically they pushed him. And it must have been with some physical threats because he fled. This was not a man who was a coward from these people. They cheated him out of his inheritance because of his past. By the way, if you've noticed, you don't get to pick your parents, do you? Parents, your kids didn't get to pick you. Remember that and behave yourselves. But right off the bat, here's a guy crippled. Because of his mama being a 
a shady character and his dad doing shady things. I want to say this to you. I believe this with all my heart. There's no such thing as an illegitimate child. There's illegitimate relationships. You follow me? Every child is a creation of God. I don't know about your background this evening. I don't know if you know who your mom or your dad is or are or was or whether they were scoundrels or not. But I want to tell you that is not the most important issue in your future. Verse 4 through 11, it says, Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we, we, so we can fight the Ammonites. If you're Jephthah, aren't you kind of curious now? <laughs> Wait a second. You losers just ran me out of town because I have a bad mama. And look in verse 7. Jephthah said to him, didn't you hate me and drive me away from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Somebody put this on Facebook, and I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but it was basically said, if people only come to you when they're in trouble, don't feel like they're using you. Feel like you got something they're looking for. Isn't that good? That's good. The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, in other words, forget that, buddy. (laughs) Not that we're sorry how you've been treated. We're turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord, that's interesting, he says, the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? And the elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Wow. What a great story. Here's a guy. He has no choice who his mom and dad are, and his mom happens to be a prostitute. Apparently, his dad and his stepmother are never able to completely broach that with his brothers because there's tension, and it explodes when he gets older. They don't want him getting money. Greed and selfishness and power comes in, and because of situation he has no control over, he is pushed out uh, of his family. But you know what? He apparently didn't let that run him, did he? He went on and he became the man that he should have been. I want to say this, the man that God would have him to be. And when they came looking for a leader, who'd they go looking for? The son of the prostitute. Isn't that great? I want to tell you this evening, your past doesn't need to be an anchor around you. Some people live in the good old days. And really, the good old days probably weren't as good as you think they were. They're just void of the pain and the problems of the good old days. Respect your past. Learn from your past. Maybe there's parts of your past you need to revere, but don't live in the past. The past ain't going to put a dollar on the table today. Amen? And some of you this evening, I don't know who you are, but some of you are being limited by other people or by the own talk in your head, by, by what happened in your past, who your mama was, your daddy was, who they were or who they weren't. Certainly that's prevalent in Ruston. Are mistakes you've made or sins you've committed or where you fumbled the ball and someone's not giving you a second chance. I want to tell you, you can't control other people, but God is wanting you to get your past right with Him, right with anybody you need to, learn from it, and move forward. Isn't that great? Don't let your past sink you. What matters today is who you are, who you belong to, and where you're going.
You belong to Jesus Christ. You're a child of God, and you got your eyes fixed on Him. You learn from your past. You plant your feet, and you move forward. Life lesson, don't let your past be a negative issue in your life. Here's the second thing, and man, this is, Bible's just got good stuff in it, doesn't it? Approach people with Scripture and reason, okay? You're not going to let your past keep you down. Everybody in here has to argue with people on a regular basis, amen? You young people, you're not married. Part of marrying is effective arguing, correct? Would y'all, you, you adults agree with that? Men, it's learning how to lose, right? Learning how to lose. They appoint Jephthah, the, they appoint him the judge. He does something that no other judge in this book does. He tries diplomacy. He tries tack. He tries to reason with the enemy. In verse 12, it says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with a question. What do you have against us that you have attacked our country? Instead of saying, you know what, let's bow up and go get them. Let's let's sharpen the swords and put the arrows in the quill and let's go kill them. He tries to approach it diplomatically. Now he gets rebuffed in verse 13. Excuse me, verse 30 we go. The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah. When Israel came out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Aaron to the Jabbok all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peacefully. Now here's what I want to do. I'm not going to read all this. So if you're taking notes, you can follow. What really verses 14 through 26 is a very interesting, almost some scholars say a legal, a legal diatribe or speech where he is trying to reason with these people. He's trying to reason with the Ammonite kings before they go to war. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really neat. In, in verse 14 through 22, he talks about the facts of history. He's just saying, look, you're saying we stole your land. That, that's historically, that is not true. You're saying we have done you wrong. We have not done you wrong. Verse 23 through 24, he, he approaches it from theology. He basically says, look, God gave us this land. By the way, you've got land. And he uses, uh, he appeals to their false gods. He goes, didn't your God give you your land? Isn't that what you think? Well, our God gave us this land. In verse 25 and 26, he talks about possession. He says to the Ammonite king, hey, you're saying we stole your land? We've been here 300 stinking years. Now, think about this. America, if you go back to 1776, we call it the birth date of our country. America is 239 years old. Israel had been there 300 years. They had not been fighting with the Ammonites. They didn't take it from the Ammonites. So he appeals to him. He appeals to him theology, from reason, and from history. He's nice, he's kind, he's rational, and he's biblical. I want to tell you, that's how you approach people. Listen to me. Some of you use your Bible like it's a sledgehammer. But as long as you're quoting Scripture, it's okay to to beat them with it. You take the idea the Bible is the sword of the Lord, literally. You try to put people's eyes out with it. Buy your hardback 20-pound Bible and swinging at people. 
Others of us, we, we may be rational and kind, but we're not based in truth and, and righteousness. You know, the old saying, you'll catch more flies with honey than vinegar. I think that's what Jephthah's showing us here. I read a story this week I thought was pretty neat. It was about a Los Angeles County deputy sheriff. This guy's been a deputy sheriff in Los Angeles, California for 20 years. Now, listen to this. His name's Elton Simmons. He, is, he has been involved in over 25,000 traffic stops. 25,000 traffic stops. Zero complaints on his record and many commendations. Did you hear that? 25,000, over 25,000, zero complaints and many commendations. They say, how, Elton, how in the world do you pull this off? Here's what he says. It's the right balance of authority and the right balance of humility. I'm a leader and I'm a diplomat. I don't approach people from a, an arrogant, smug position. I smile. I bend down and look them in the eye as I'm writing the ticket. Isn't that nice of the policeman to smile and be eye to eye with you when he's writing your ticket? But he says, I just try to approach people with a kind, honest, diplomatic way. That's what we see here. Biblical foundation, rational approach. See, a lot of us, when, when the heat gets on a little bit, we, we fly into a rage. We may call it a holy rage, but it's a rage. Or again, we're so sweet that we don't have any biblical background or backbone. Someone said years ago, I heard him say, when you're dealing with tough issues, you want to be two things. You want to be very kind and very clear. You want to approach people gently but with clarity. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 Read that with me. You know, I really think our, our guy in the story, our hero in our story was doing that. He's a mighty warrior, but his first approach to a troubled situation was to be a diplomat, was to be kind, to be biblical, and to be clear. That's a great life lesson to learn. But here's the third thing that spills from that. And man, this is super important too. Don't be surprised when folks reject Scripture and reason. How many of you still get shocked at this? You say, this is what the Bible says. They don't care. When you say 2 plus 2 equals 4, it still is 5 to them. Do you ever deal with those people? Or do they just come to our church for needs? Jephthah is trying to make things right. How many, of you, how many of you have tried to make things right? You've tried to avoid a fight. You've tried to avoid the literal or figurative bloodshed, and it seems to just get worse. Does that ever happen with you? If it doesn't, you're not, you're not leading or you're not involved in much. Verse 28, let's see what it says here. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent to him. Wow. Here he's approached nicely, 
biblically, rationally, and he's completely rejected. I wish when I was you guys' age in front of me, someone would have told me this. Here's what I really believe. I remember telling some some people this when I first started pastoring. They said, well, how are you going to lead? And I said, you know what, man? I'm just going to love Jesus and love people and everything's going to be, there won't be problems. They snickered. I'm 22. They said, all right, you're going to lead staff members someday. How are you going to, man, I'm just going to love them, encourage them, pray for them. We're going to love Jesus. And they said, what are you going to do when they don't do what you want them to do? I'm just going to love them and pray for them and then everything will be okay. And they said, you are an idiot. And you know what I say to them right now? Amen. I was an idiot. Well, you mean if you just encourage the people who work for you and are they your boss or your kids? If, if, you, if you just do that, things may not turn out okay. Absolutely not. In fact, the hard thing and the tough thing is, is that you can talk to some people and you need to hear this. You can lay out scripture, you can lay out truth, you can lay out reason, and you can be as nice as you can be, and they're going to reject it anyway. And by the way, you're going to see that in our world today more than ever. The sad thing is you see it in the church, but you're going to see it in the world more than ever. This is a little bit dated, but it's still so good. In 2005, Americans were asked, is religion and religious people losing influence in our country? 50% said yes. Four years later, 2009, same question. Is religious and religious influence, religious people losing influence in our country? 65% said yes. I bet it'd be 70 now. So in other words, what I'm telling you, you need to approach the people in your world biblically, rationally, kindly, but you need to understand this is a life lesson. Some people are going to reject it anyway. Are you hearing me? And it still hurts, doesn't it? And you go, well, why why is this true? Well, here's one thing. Some people don't want to be confused with the facts. Have Have you ever dealt with someone like that? You tell them something, you tell them something, you tell them something, then you finally realize that they do not want to be confused by the facts. I had a guy tell me in my first church, he said, Son, a lot of people are like concrete. They've been thoroughly mixed up and they're firmly set in place. He's right. Scripture, reason, love, kindness. Can't get through to them. Let me give you two verses that you need to know. 1 Corinthians 2.14 it says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. You, you, you hear that? The person without the Holy Spirit, the lost person, doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says it even a little more powerful. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds, the hearts of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, God can pull those veils off their eyes. But one thing, guys, when you're, when you're dealing with people that don't know Jesus Christ, they, are, they have a spiritual blindness over their eyes. I would even go as far to say this. When you deal with Christians who are away from God or who are shallow and are quenching the Holy Spirit, there is a darkness over their heart and over their eyes. St. Augustine said this. He said, there is no advantage in being in the light if you keep your eyes closed. Isn't that good? Man, I'm telling them the truth. They're not getting it. 
If they're not going to open their eyes, they are not going to get it, are they? And I, and I think this is true when you talk, think about the world. When you think about the world today. Someone once said that if you're in a completely dark place, it doesn't matter if your eyes are open or not. So you say, well, I'm talking to that neighbor. I'm talking to that friend. I'm talking to that person at work. I'm trying to reason this person Fundamentally, it may be because they don't have Christ in their heart that they're rejecting it. But I wish someone would have shared with me thoroughly and clearly that, yes, you present truth to people biblically, scripturally, kindly, but you need to understand that some people are going to reject it anyway. That is not a slam on you. That is an indicator of who they are. And I want to give you one last thought this evening. In the midst of all this, in the midst of your past being challenged, in the midst of trying to handle things properly and it being rejected, you keep following God. Keep following God. Here's a guy in in 20-something verses we've seen. He had a bad mama. He had apparently a very dysfunctional home life. He was rejected by his family. He tries to be reasonable, biblical to the enemy. He's rejected. He doesn't curl up in a ball and quit. In verse 29, let's see what it says. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from there, he advanced against the Ammonites. We're going to conclude that story next week. But I want to tell you, he did not let how other people treated him. He didn't let how other people rejected him. He didn't let how people responded. Listen, when he presented truth and they rejected it, he didn't let it stop him. He kept following God. I I saw this this week. It said, to be a great Christian today, you need the tack of a diplomat, the strength of Samson, the patience of Job, and the wisdom of Solomon. That is undoable, isn't it? I want to tell you, that's not true. You know what you need to do? You just need to keep following God. You can't be as wise as Solomon and as patient as Job and as strong as Samson. But here's what you can do imperfectly. You can get up every day and you can keep following God. Folks, listen. The GPS that's going to get you where you want to be is following God. It's never going to cut off. It's never going to not be there for you. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you keep following God. I want to put our memory verse back on the screen for a second. Well, I use the word memory verse in jest. I think truly this is Jephthah, guys. I think in his heart Christ was Lord. God was Lord. Be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. There was something about this guy's life that drew people to him. When they were in trouble, who did they go to? The son of the prostitute. Because there was something about him that drew them to him. And he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. When you respond to people and you are trying to help people, 
whether it's telling them what God's done for your life, correct them, whatever. Do this with gentleness and respect. This was this dude. He was living this out 1,100 years before it was ever written. So I want to challenge you this evening. Set Christ apart as your Lord. Let your past be a teacher and move on from it. Treat people with respect biblically. Know you're going to be rejected and keep on following God. And here's your opportunity to do so right now. If you're not a Christian, when we stand in a moment, I'm going to challenge you to leave your seat and come down here and give your life to Christ this evening. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that when we stand, you can come and join us. Maybe this evening as a Christian, you'd like to come and pray with a minister or pray at the altar. Maybe as you look at some of these things, you're not doing so well or you need some encouragement. Let's make the right choices this evening. Let's stand. As God leads you, you step out and come.